The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. We are glad that you're here today. You guys uh, made it through the ice. You made it across the parking lot. Anybody fall yet? We uh, we had the Sanders out there earlier trying to uh, ease that up a little bit. Crazy morning uh, with all the ice, but we're glad that you're here today. Um, if you're new, welcome to ACF Church. Welcome to Alaska. It's the worst winter ever. Um, I don't know what's up with this. Uh, we're, we're, maybe we'll get some snow. I'm kind of still holding out that uh, the snow's coming, but I don't know if it will be. Um, man, it's been a good, it's been a good series so far. I've been really challenged by what we've been going through. We've been in this series called The Code, and we're just talking about all the different codes that we live by, the ways that we decide what is good and what is helpful for our lives so that we might honor God better. And so if you are new, uh, I want you to know this is a great series for you to come in on because if you're kind of wondering what is the church about or what is ACF Church about, each week we're just lining out a different value that we have as a community and the way that we see ourselves living out that value. And so I think this is a great series to, to plug into and be a part of. Um, just seeing a lot of great things happening. Every week we're hearing about people making uh, life-changing commitments to follow Jesus at ACF Church. Last week we had one person. Can we give God a hand for that one person? awesome that's the coolest thing in the world it's really what we're all about we would do this every week for one person um god is working and he's speaking to people and the gospel is changing hearts and uh, just breaking breaking change in in people's lives and so i love that Uh, we've seen a lot of new acf groups launch since our last launch when we talked about all the life groups and acf groups in the church we had a bunch of you step up and start new groups which thank you so much for doing that we can always use more groups our goal is that a hundred percent of you would find an acf group either a social group or a life group to be a part of and so just want to encourage you uh, continue to be open to that maybe go out to the lobby when the service is done and talk to travis or Heather, and they would love to get you more information about a, an ACF group. Um, this week, financially, this month, we, uh, the first month since, I think, last year, we are free and clear of our bills. So give God a hand for that. So that is a huge deal for us as a church. It does take money to operate this place, um, to do ministry in Eagle River. And so thank you so much. So many of you just have stepped up and been giving sacrificially. Um, and so what this means is we get to start opening the valve a little bit more in, uh, in ministry here as well as in our community. And we are excited about that. We see some great ways for ACF Church to partner with our city, to serve people better, to love uh, love Eagle River and then to the world beyond. We've got some new opportunities uh, globally as well. And so I'm excited about that, you guys, to, to do that with you. So this week, the code that we're talking about is we stand as one in essentials, unity in non-essentials, liberty in all things, charity. And so this quote, um, I don't know if you've heard it before. I didn't make it up. Um, it's, it's a quote by a guy named Augustine. Um, actually, you know what? That's not right. It was attributed to Augustine. It's actually by a different guy. That's in my notes. I should have remembered that. Um, His name 
is Rupertus Meldinius. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Rupertus Meldinius is the guy that, that uh, coined that phrase, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. So my question for you is, do you think that unity and diversity are ideas in our culture today that people receive well? Do you think that our culture likes the idea of unity and diversity? I'd say so. I think for the most part, let's, can you put that picture up that I found this week? There it is. This is the stock photo. If you go on Google and search uh, people, picture of people, you're going to get a picture like this. And we kind of like this picture uh, because it's the PC picture. It looks like a college pamphlet, right? Because every college pamphlet has to be PC. You must represent, you know, every race and every culture. So we've got people of different backgrounds, um, different ethnicities, different ages. We've got a little guy there, um, some young ladies, some older men and older ladies. Um, when you see a picture like that, you're like, I can relate to somebody in that picture. And honestly, that's kind of the goal with most of the publications that people put out is we want you to relate to somebody in the photo and, and to, to let you know that we support diversity. We support having people from all different backgrounds coming together and learning together. And so I think socially, we like this idea. We support this idea. Um, if you don't support diversity, you'd probably be a little looked down upon in our culture today. We like diversity. It's a great idea. And honestly, our, our culture is kind of borrowing capital from the church. This, this is the church. The church is diverse. There's people from all kinds of different backgrounds that come together every single, every single week. Um, God loves diversity. He loves this world. And uh, last week, I don't know if you guys saw on stage, we have had at least four different races represented on our worship team, which was cool. We had, you know, black and white and Hispanic and Asian represented on the worship team, which is awesome. It's a picture of the kingdom. It's the gospel. It's this idea that there's no dividing lines in the church that God came. He sent Jesus, his son to all of humanity for anyone that might receive him. And so Here's the next question. Do we really like diversity or do we just like the idea of diversity? Is that is it really is it really diversity that we enjoy? Do we like different people? Anybody do you guys love being around people that are totally different than you that you don't fit in with? Do you guys enjoy that? I struggle with that sometimes. I think I think we like the idea of diversity. And even if you look at some studies that were done um, recently in, in areas, neighborhoods where it's very diverse, Honestly, it's not that there's more unity. It's that there's more crime and more uh, problems in our in our culture. And so I would say this, that we like the idea of diversity. But then when it gets down into the nitty gritty of it, it gets more complicated. And oftentimes we we think it's not worth the effort. You know, I I oftentimes struggle in a culture or in a setting where I feel like I'm the outsider. Uh, I don't know if you've ever walked into a room or been in a group of people where, you know, you are the odd person out. And it's just uncomfortable. And you feel like, I just want to get out of here. Um, even in our church today, there's a lot of different people represented here at ACF Church today. We've got men and women, right? Different, right? Married people? They're different. Men and women are very, very different. We've got Alaskans and non-Alaskans. Um, how many people have been here for over 15 years in Alaska? Anybody over 15 years? Okay, good segment of you. How many people have been here for less than five years? Okay, maybe a few more of you. All right. Pretty, pretty diverse group. Alaskans and non-Alaskans. We've got the, the rich, the middle class, 
the poor. We have people who have lots of money in ACF Church. Then we have people who don't have two dimes to run, run together. You know, people that barely pay the bills, barely make it. We have conservatives and liberals, old and young. We have Army, Air Force, Guard, Navy, Marine. I've seen them all in ACF Church. Uh, we have enlisted and officers. Um, we have people who are blue collar, white collar. We have churched, unchurched, and dechurched at ACF. We have people who grew up going to church. You know, when you go to a new city, first thing you do, find a new church. We have other people who have been wounded by the church and who are here kind of reluctantly. Maybe you've got some issues with the organization of the church, but you, you, you want to be here. You're excited about being here. And then other people who are here and you are completely unchurched. You have no context for this place. Um, you don't know why we're doing what we do ever. You don't get it. You're like, okay, they're singing and then they're, you know, eating these little wafers of bread. I have no idea what's going on here. And so it's such a blended uh, culture here. So my question is, will you look at our differences as obstacles or opportunities? Do you see our differences as obstacles or opportunities? Do you see how different I am from you and think, man, I think I could grow from being in a relationship with him or with that person? Do you get into a cultural difference, a cultural situation where people are different than you and say, man, I think I could grow from this. I want to learn. Or do you say, get me out of here. I'm uncomfortable. And so again, it's the, the code this week is we stand as one in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty in all things, charity. And so looking at this quote, there's a few questions that initially come up. If, if you read this quote, depending on your religious background, you may see freedom in this quote. You may say, man, that's awesome. I see I see liberty and unity and charity. Or maybe you come from a background where you read this quote and you say, man, that sounds kind of careless. That sounds like maybe you're throwing out the truth of the Bible. Don't we need to stand on something? And so as we're going to go through this, I want to I want to answer some questions that I think may come up as we read this quote. The first question is, what is essential? So are there essentials in the Christian faith? And then what is what is unity really in in the church? Um, Does that mean that there are things that are non-essential? Like what's a non-essential when it comes to to faith in God or Christianity? What is charity? What's he mean by that? I think there's some some questions that come up. And so we're going to kind of unpack all of that. Um, But we are part, ACF Church is part of a denomination. I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if you thought we were an independent church, but we're not. We're part of a denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And uh, it was it was founded by this guy named A.B. Simpson, who is this uh, Canadian Presbyterian minister that was serving in uh, New York City back in the late 1800s. And so he was in New York and he was seeing that there was this influx of immigrants into New York City. These marginalized Dirty, messed up people coming into the city that nobody was reaching out to. And he said, listen, this is an opportunity for us to be the church. So he went to his church leadership and said, let's reach out to the immigrants. And this church leadership pushed back and said, we don't want to do that. That sounds messy and uncomfortable. And they're very different than us. And so he said, see ya. I'm out of here. Left the church, went and planted his own church in downtown New York City and specifically reached out to immigrants in the area. And that's where the Christian and Missionary Alliance was founded. He started reaching out to local ministers who were like minded to him, who wanted to wanted to unite around the gospel, around the mission in Matthew 28 to go and reach the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so this you sit here today. 
because a man in the late 1800s decided to unify around the things that mattered. Decided to find ways that he and other people from different backgrounds could come together. And if we surveyed this room, I bet we'd find people from Catholic backgrounds, people from Protestant backgrounds, you know, people from Pentecostal backgrounds, from Baptist backgrounds. I mean, people from all kinds of different faith backgrounds to come together and say, let's be on mission together. And so the first question is this. What are essential beliefs of the Christian then, Brian? So what is essential? What do we unify around? And, and I started to walk through our statement of faith and it turned into an entire series. And so for your sake and for mine, we're not going to go through every detail of what the essentials we believe are of, of the Christian faith. If you want to download our statement of faith, you can go right ahead and do that. It's on our website, uh, acfak.org. And you can study that and just geek out on all the verses and theology in that. It's really good stuff. Um, but we're not going to go into every detail here. But it's basically a variation of this. Man is sinful. Yep. Yep, he is. Jesus is the third person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man. And he is the only way to be saved. And we believe believe so because scripture tells us so. So that's kind of the core of what we believe. That's kind of what we stand on. Famous passage in 2 Timothy 3:16 says all scripture is God-breathed. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we run to scripture to find out what the truth is. What the essentials are. And if you were here last week, we talked all about how we stand on God's word. We believe that God's word is our guide. We run to scripture. But my goal here isn't necessarily to dig apart every single essential of the Christian faith. But to wrestle with you about the tension that comes up when I say that there are essentials and non-essentials. How do you feel about that? Does that bring up some tension in your heart? And so we're going to actually go to Matthew 23 and and, and listen to some of Jesus' words to to the Pharisees and to the scribes. Because I think it, it, it begs the question, so are we ripping pages out of the Bible? If we say that some things are essential and some things are less essential, does that mean that God doesn't care about certain things? So let's, let's kind of unpack this together. Matthew 23, verse 23. You can follow along on the screen behind me, or you can open up your Bible in front of you and follow along that way, or download a Bible app, and you can read with us there. This is pretty intense. Jesus, and in fact, if you read this whole chapter, it is not the feel-good sermon of the year. I mean, it is like, it is intense. Jesus is just hypocrites, and woe to you. He's, this is a different side of Jesus than many people um, often often notice, but he is being very intentional with these guys. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Pretty strange verse, right? Like, man, there's a lot going on there. And so let's pray. How about that? Let's pray together. And then we're going to talk about it. Jesus, we ask that you'd be here with us. Father, we need you to inspire us, to uh, help us to see the truth in your word. Father, would you change our hearts and, and change our minds so that we might look more like you when we leave this place? God, we don't want to waste this time. Father, would you just come in here and, and just 
um, work in a, in, a, in a powerful way, God. Work miracles in this space today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, yeah, hard words to the Pharisees. Jesus starts off by saying, woe to you, Pharisees, you hypocrites. And so the first thing I think we have to do before we go anywhere in this is to put our names in there where it says scribes and Pharisees. Um, Whenever I'm reading scripture, I'm always trying to figure out who am I? Like, who do I relate to in this scripture? And there are the scribes and the Pharisees and there are Jesus. And so, again, you're not Jesus. So that means you're the scribes or the Pharisees, right? Uh, I think too often we read these things and we're like, man, if I was a scribe or a Pharisee, I would have nailed it back then. Like Jesus would have been like, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, except for Brian. You were doing awesome, doing so good. But all you other guys, you know, again, you're not Jesus. You're the scribes and the Pharisees. We need to read it this way and put our names in there. He says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And so the Pharisees were all about the external. They were all about how they looked. Man, they, they always had their, their clothes pressed and they were doing all of the right religious things. Everything looked good. Anybody else like to look good on the outside? You like it when your, your families look good, when your kids aren't freaking out in front of your friends? You know, you, you like it when your grades are going well, when your car's nice and clean. Everything looks like you have got this thing together. And this is the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's basically saying they have extended this law of tithing to the tiniest little things. It'd be like today if you went out and got a, a burger and fries, you'd need to tithe 10% of your French fries back to the church, which would be weird. So don't put French fries in the box in the back. Somebody's going to like go do it, I'm sure, next week. But so they have extended the law down to the smallest things. Mint and dill and cumin, these are spices. I mean, that's a really small thing. And they basically said, we have to tithe... Everything And there's this um, this Jew, Jewish commentary on the law called the Talmud. And, it, and as I was reading about this this week, it was interesting. This specific commentary speaks about this donkey. This is weird stuff. This donkey who was so well trained that he would refuse to eat corn that hadn't been tithed on. Is that weird? This is bizarre stuff. So it's like training your dog. Not to eat his food, like, okay, Scruffy, don't eat unless I've written my tithe check this week. I mean, it's just bizarre where they've taken this. And so Jesus, he doesn't condemn this idea of tithing. He's, he's not saying don't do it. He's saying, no, that's a given. Do that. But you should not do that while neglecting the weightier matters of the law. 24, he says, you blind guides. He calls them blind. It's like the blind leading the blind. So are we blind guys? It's like, no, I went to Bible school. I lead a life group. I know the Bible. You know, I've gone to church my whole life. Jesus is speaking to the religious crowd. He's saying you are blind guides. And then he gets kind of funny and it just gets stranger. (laughs) And he says, uh, he says, you've strained out a gnat, which if you've ever been camping in Alaska, you get what this means, right? If you open a soda in the woods in like July, you have 30 seconds before that thing's going to fill up with a bunch of nasty bugs. I mean, it's just, it's just how it works. And so kind of how he's talking, it's just bizarre, but he's like, it'd be like you pouring a Coke in the woods and you strained out a gnat. So it'd be nice and clean. 
and then you went and like licked a moose or something. I mean, it's just like, what? This is bizarre. This is just a strange comparison. They've got camels and gnats. And I can imagine they're like, Jesus, this is ridiculousness. And I, I can imagine Jesus saying, it is, isn't it? This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. You see, they're focusing on the wrong thing. And Jesus is trying to show them how crazy this is, how absolutely absurd it is. Not that they were tithing or giving, but that they were doing that while neglecting the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, the things that drive everything else. You see, I believe there is one truth, but if you neglect your neighbor trying to defend it, you have lost everything. If you're trying to defend the truth and you neglect your neighbor and you lose your focus on the mission of God, you have lost everything. I think sometimes we as Christians have to ask, do I want to make a point or do I want to make a difference? And, and you might think, well, you can make a difference by making a point, but sometimes you're going to lose your opportunity to make a difference because you're so focused on making a point. You're so focused on the wrong things. It's kind of like we're in the season of Lent. And Lent is a really, it can be a really healthy thing. You know, we give something up for 40 days. We become people of prayer. You know, I've done it before. I've given something up and, you know, whether it's caffeine or sugar or whatever it may be. And so every time you crave that thing, the goal is that you would be going into prayer, that you would be considering what's to come, which is us celebrating the the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And so it makes you somebody who remembers but you know what else it can be? Empty religious behavior. You can, you can get to the end of Lent and give up whatever it may be and have just participated in 40 days of religious behavior and have done nothing. Because I, I think Jesus would say, again, if you neglect justice, mercy, faithfulness, but you give up caffeine, you have gained nothing. You've done nothing. You haven't accomplished anything. These are the things that matter. And when your discipline is, is exhausted by trying to decide whether or not you're going to tithe on your spices, I think we have neglected the weight of your matters. You know, for instance, I used to wrestle with I'd get a check from my grandmother for my birthday. And I was like, do I tithe the check? What do I do with it? It's a hundred dollars. Do I tithe on my check, you know? And, and I get this question from people sometimes, like, Brian, should I tithe on my, my net or my gross? You know, and I'm like, 90% of people don't do it at all. So just pick one and do it. I don't care. Just, just start. Start doing it, you know? And I, I can imagine Jesus was like, just focus on, do the right things. Do the things that I'm calling you to do. But don't neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness, because those things are what drive everything else. So we as a church, we don't want to bicker about these trivial things. I think churches all over the U.S. and all over the world are, are broken over trivial things oftentimes. And so we want to unite around the things that matter, around the big picture things like this, this movement that we're a part of was founded on. Was let's be on mission together. And there's a lot of other things we're going to figure out down the road. And then there are moments in our lives where we're kind of shocked out of our comfort and shocked out of our routine, and we, we become very aware of the bigger picture of the world we live in. And so 
I don't know how many of you were glued to your news channels or whatever this week watching this, this thing unfold about the, the men who were killed for their faith in, in Libya this week. And so it was, it kind of shocked me this week. I don't know, it just hit me really hard. And I understand that this stuff's been going on for quite some time, but it's, it was just very in our faces, wasn't it? it? I mean, it was on every news channel. It was in the papers. It was all over the internet, just seeing the faces of these men as they're walking to their death. And I was... Man, I was shocked out of my comfort this week. And it caused me really to just to dig into my soul a little bit and ask some really difficult questions. I don't know if anybody else relates to that. Of If you're a Christian asking yourself, would I be willing to do that? What would I do in that situation? Could I be strong enough? And then asking yourself, what if persecution was here in that sense? You know, for us, persecution is somebody doesn't like me at work. You know, because I said I'm a Christian and for them, it's completely different. It's putting your life at stake. And so I was kind of shocked out of my comfort this week. And I found myself kind of thinking about this a lot going, God, what matters in life? What really matters? What, what do you really care about? Because that's what I want to focus on. And so we as a church, we're just going to stop and pray for a few minutes. Um, I feel like there's a lot of hatred in the church when it comes to this. I feel like um, another step forward for the enemy would be to fill your heart with animosity towards other people. I feel like um, it could easily be a a, a foothold for us to become prideful and arrogant and lose track of how broken we are as people. And I don't want to do that. I think that we can hate what's going on. I think that we can hate certain actions and we we can struggle through that. But at the end of the day, we need to we need to like Paul say listen the world is the world's broken it's full of sinners of whom i am the worst i think we as the church we have to start there and so i just i wanted us to stop together and just to pray for people all over the world it's not just happening in libya it's happening all over the world that people don't have the freedom to come to church like this they wouldn't walk in these doors safely and be able to worship like we do and so this week i was just more grateful this week I don't know. I was just more aware of all that I have and things that are small that typically drive me crazy weren't driving me as crazy. So I just think that's a good thing. And I think that uh, it fit well with this week as we talk about unifying around the mission. I don't see those guys going, well, what kind of worship music are we going to do at church this week? Because I don't know if we can go to church together if we don't play the same music. You know, the things that divide the church in America. I see them kind of going, what? Are you kidding? And so, um, can we pray together? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the freedom you give us. We thank you for all that we have. Father, we are grateful. God, would you grow in our hearts gratitude for all that we have? God, we uh, as a church today pray over the Christian brothers and sisters across the world who are being persecuted for their faith those who are having to make very difficult decisions, who are having to stand up and claim faith in you, knowing that it might, they might lose everything, God. And so we just as a church want to pray your protection on them. God, we pray for the families of those lives that were lost this past week, for your peace and your grace to be on them. God, we do pray for a modern-day Paul to rise up within this group. God, that you might change the heart of a man so drastically 
God, that there might be change that would come from the inside out of these broken organizations. God, we believe that you can work miracles. And we pray this in light of Jesus, knowing that one day all wrongs will be made right. Knowing that your kingdom is coming. Going, knowing that the enemy will not prevail. God, that you won already. Father, we stand on that today as a church. God, we also want to say that your justice is better than ours. Forgive us for self-righteousness, God. Forgive us for our hatred. God, help us to be very aware of our own sin and our own brokenness. And then, God, help us to be people of prayer. And God, not just people of prayer, but also people of action, sharing the gospel right here today as we know that our neighbors and our friends need you just as much as people across the world. We love you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for doing that. It's pretty big picture stuff, huh? It's challenging. It forces us to refocus and get some perspective on the things that drive us crazy. I don't know if you've ever gotten to the, to the end of something and said, why did that bother me so much? Why did that disunify us so much? Why did we let that become a foothold to separate us? I think Jesus doesn't want this in the church. So in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things, charity. And so the next question is, so what is non-essential? So are you saying that there's non-essential things, Brian? What is what does that actually look like? Um, my dad and I, we've been hunting together since I was a little guy all my life. I remember my dad taking me hunting and um, when we were really young, he started teaching me, you know, how to hold the gun, how to prepare for a trip you know, how to get everything packed up. And, and so I don't know if anybody drew some hunting tags this year, but if you drew a hunting tag for this next fall, you're probably already packed and ready to go. You're already like thinking about stuff you need to buy and you just want to be super prepared. And that was always my dad. And, and so my dad has one rule for packing for hunting. Bring everything. Bring it all. Doesn't matter what it is, just bring it all. And it's crazy because, so his, his nickname at our hunting camp is Cabela's, which is awesome. So if you're like, man, I ran out of socks, somebody's like, oh, go talk to Cabela's, he's got socks. Or, you know, you're like, man, my radio broke, you know, and go talk to Cabela's, he's got an extra radio. Or my chainsaw isn't working, go, to, go talk to Cabela's, he's got a couple chainsaws in the back of his truck. I kid you not, he brings everything, two, two of everything. And so when we go camping, it is... It is like a truck and a trailer and a big tarp and it's loaded down and we're in the inside of this pickup and it's like stuff all around us. You can, I mean, if we got in a wreck, we'd be completely safe. We're just pinned right in by every bit of gear that he's ever owned. And so it's all, and so I moved up to Alaska and I started hunting and backpacking in Alaska and I realized that doesn't work. There is no way. I mean, I've got all the stuff laid out on the bed. I'm thinking I need to bring with me. And I'm thinking, no way. I mean, this is like a whole nother person worth of gear that I'm going to hold on my back. Not a chance. And I realized that if you're going to, if you're going to hike and camp in Alaska and you're going to backpack, you got to figure out what's important. You got to, you got to wade through all of your junk and all your gear and go, okay, do I need that? Do I need this? How important is this? And even beyond that, what you start doing is you start looking for multi-use items, right? Hatchet does a lot, right? I can cut wood. I can pound things into the ground. You know, I can do a lot with a hatchet, a spork, right? 
Everybody's nemesis. It's the worst tool in the world. It doesn't do anything well, but it, it kind of works. So you've got to bring a spork with you. You know, a knife. There's all these... I mean, if you camp in the woods, you know there are actually two essentials that you need if you go to the woods. The first is silver and comes in a roll. Duct tape. So you've got to have duct tape if you go in the woods. And the second is... What? Matches, lighter. I was thinking bailing twine. First service, it was toilet paper, which I'm like, brilliant. Not a multi-use item, sort of, you know, but start some fires, maybe. I was thinking duct tape and bailing twine, the two key redneck ingredients to camping, you know. You can do anything you want with duct tape and bailing twine, you know. You could build a boat with duct tape if you needed to. And so it's funny, Jesus, he boils all the law, all of these things down to two things. Love God and love your neighbor. And I can imagine these scribes and Pharisees looking at Jesus and going, but what about the spices? You know, what about this over here? Is it really that simple? Jesus, that sounds a little careless. I mean, can you really boil it all down to that? And so depending on where you come from, that may sound like freedom or that might sound careless. But Jesus boils everything down to love God and love your neighbor, the two essentials of our faith, which means there's a lot of sort of non-essentials that we end up focusing on, these things that maybe shouldn't drive us. They're things that are important, but things that shouldn't drive us. And so um, at my old church, I was a worship pastor and um, pray for worship pastors because worship pastors are in one of the most divisive areas of the church. Um, across America. There's been this years of the worship wars fighting over, you know, traditional contemporary music. And um, man, I I just I'm grateful. I don't think it's a bone of contention in our church, but it certainly can be. And at our last church, so I, I was I was out here earlier before the service and this family walked in with their six or seven kids and they sat down first people in the room. And I went up and said, hi, I said, hey, welcome to church. Glad you're here. And They said, well, we got some questions, and so we're just talking about the church and what we're about and, you know, the background on the denomination and such. And and the service is about to get going. I'm like, well, good to meet you guys. And he goes, oh, wait, I got got one more question. He looks up on the stage and he goes, were you guys going to play those drums? (laughs) And I was like, yeah. Yep, we were. We were planning on playing the drums. And he goes, thank you. And he stands up with his wife and his kids, and out they go. I never saw him again. Off, off they went. And I was like, wow, that is interesting. You know, I mean, this was a close fisted issue for them. I mean, this was a big deal. I mean, the devil is in the drums, John Bolstrich. The devil <laughs> is in the drums. Is John in here? I can't make fun of him without him being in here. The devil is in the, watch out for the drums. I mean, it was a big deal. And I don't know what their background is. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's something there that I don't see. And so I, I assume... Something's going on in their life that they don't, they don't want to be around drums. Whatever it may be, I don't know. But for them, this was a closed-fisted, I mean, and I think, what if this was the church they needed to be a part of? What, was the, what if this was the community that they needed to grow with and to contribute to and be part of together? But they walked away because of the drums. And I thought, man, isn't that a picture of the church sometimes, that, that we can be so divided when people, if you're a non-Christian here today, I wonder when you see the church, do you see unity and diversity or do you see division? And I feel like far too often people see division. They don't see a people who are on mission together, 
focused on the right things. They see a broken community, which the thing is, God is not divided. So his body should not be divided. So what are the things that you divine? I would define non-essentials as the philosophical application of God's word within the sandbox of biblical guidelines and the Holy Spirit's guidance. You get all that? The philosophical application of God's word. We said we need God's word. We don't throw it out the window. Within this sandbox of biblical guidelines and the Holy Spirit's guidance. If God's telling you to do something, that becomes essential. Go do it. Um, But aside from that, within the the sandbox of biblical guidelines of loving God and loving your neighbor. And I mean, there's there there are guidelines in scripture, but within that sandbox, it's a big sandbox to play in. There's a lot of freedom to do things. I think in the gathering of the church, just simply here, there's the worship style. What kind of music will you play? You know, essential, non-essential. Liturgy, flow of worship. If you're from a liturgical church background, this seems very comfortable to you and maybe like too comfortable, like too casual. Or maybe if you're from a traditional background, you it just depends on where you grew up. You might want uh, traditional, you might, might want contemporary, maybe the preaching length. You think, okay, the, the holy length of a sermon is 32 minutes, Brian. That is the biblical length of a sermon. You're already past it. You just need to get off the stage. And then there's the people who are like, well... If you preach less than an hour, you have neglected discipleship. And so, Brian, I don't care what you say, but do not get off that stage for less than 60 minutes. There's the room decor. There is the dress code. This is my church dress. There is the mega church versus the small church, which I just think Christians need to get over. You know, God's going to use the mega church in mega ways. He's going to use the small church in mega ways. He's going to use everybody in each of their contexts for the kingdom. So it's time to stop fighting about how how one is better than the other. I think they both are being used in, in powerful ways uh, and they both can be completely ineffective. So again, it's probably not something to be divided over. ESV, NIV, New King James version of the Bible. There are people that will die on that hill. Like they will pick up that black Bible and see that it's not New King James and walk right out, right out the door. You know, and I, I just think there are, there are things in the church that I would lose a limb for. Like, this is an essential. And there are things in the church that I could probably lose a finger for. Like, it's pretty important. Need my fingers, but I would give it up because this is a pretty big deal. Um, there are things that I might lose a fingernail for, you know. And then there are things that I probably wouldn't get a back cramp for. And I just think there are people fighting about and focused on things that I, I just wonder if Jesus is like, I wouldn't even get a cramp over that. And you just lost your life. For the New King James Version, you know, I just wonder if it's if it's the right thing. I think in the body itself, parenting styles. I don't know how many of you are like, I don't know what they're doing, but that is not biblical parenting. You know, <laughs> parenting styles, a lot of different ways to do it. Secular music, Christian music. Which one should you listen to? Is it both um, alcohol or abstinence? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Long hair, short hair, tattoos, piercings can be pretty divisive. Uh, husband and wife roles in the home. Should you stay married? Should you be single? Uh, have kids or not? Dating versus courting. That was a big deal a few years ago. It's all into you were courting if you were a Jesus follower, you know. You didn't date, which I don't know. I think they're the same thing. Um, having kids or not. 
make money lots of money? I mean, should you have a lot of money or should you not have a lot of money? Is one more godly than the other? Should you drive a Range Rover or a Geo Metro? You know, or is it like he's driving a Geo Metro? He loves Jesus. I can tell. <laughs> you know, you drive a junky car. You must love Jesus. Public school, private school, homeschool. I mean, that can be a divisive one, you know, for people. Ladies, to wear leggings or not to wear leggings. Come on now. Ah, oh, don't write any more blogs about it. I've read them all. It's been said, so just let it rest. Um, even in theology, Calvinism, Arminianism, there is a speaking in tongues, premillennial, postmillennial, six-day creation. I mean, there's tons of things that people would just lose their lives for. And I just wonder if you're, if you're losing your life for that, but you've neglected justice, mercy, and love, have you gained anything? Have you gained anything? So we want to focus on the right things because I don't know about you, but I don't have that much time. And if I fight about everything, I'm not going to fight about anything. You know what I mean? Like if we try to fight about everything and everything is a hill to die on, then you're going to do nothing very well. Um, and so we want to focus on the right things. The last part of this quote is in all things charity and charity in this context just means love. It just means love. In the end, we as a church, we will stand on love. We will lose our lives for love. Love is something that you can stake your life on. That is something that's important. And just as a caveat, I would say non-essentials can become essential when they hinder your ability to love God or love other people. Non-essentials can become essential when they hinder your ability to love God or other people. I think that's important. I think where you live might not matter. might be a non-essential. God's calling you to go overseas to do mission work. All of a sudden, it becomes essential. We need to follow God's guidance and we need to love each other. We need to make sure it's all driven by love. So my question is, who are you divided with? What dividing lines have you drawn? Have you drawn the lines in the sand in the right place? What trivial things have you turned into the thing? Whether it's in a relationship, it's in the church, it's in a friendship, and it's causing disunity. There's this guy, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, pretty influential guy, who I think would, would relate well to what's happening overseas, comes in, is just key to the, to the launching of the early church. And in 1 Corinthians 9:22, he says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. So here's this guy, Paul, who was was full of religious zeal, who comes in and says, listen, it doesn't matter where I've come from. I just want to be on mission and I want to reach every person in the world with the gospel. That's what matters most to Paul. He says, I'll sacrifice what I'm used to. I'll sacrifice what's comfortable for me. I'll sacrifice my preferences. I will do anything to be with people on mission. I mean, unity is such a high priority for Paul because he knows without unity, the church will fall apart. Unity demands flexibility and humility. If you're not flexible and you're not humble, then you might not be an agent of, of unity. 
You have to be flexible. You have to be humble. You have to figure it out. It's hard. It's not comfortable. I don't like it either. But we have to be flexible. And we have to be humble. Have to be willing to learn. And we have to focus on the right things. Have you met anybody that seems to just be able to walk into any group of people and relate to them well? Christians should be the best at this. We should be able to walk into a group of people completely different with us, different from us, and find one thing to connect with them on. You know? The first thing we did today was I talked about the ice outside, right? Everybody gets, it's icy out. Everybody walked on the ice, you know? It's why you talk about the weather. Does anybody just like, the first thing you do is talk about the weather with people? It's really simple. Why do we do that? Because everybody gets it. We all get it. We all looked outside. Yeah, it's snowing. Or, yeah, it's, you know, 50 degrees, February. I mean, we all, we all get this. And so as Christians, what we do is we find common ground. We find a way to connect with people. Just like Jesus, who enters into solidarity with humanity, putting on the skin of humanity and dying for us, taking on all of our brokenness. Doesn't that look like Jesus a lot more? than fighting about the music. I think it does. I think it's a beautiful thing. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven And on earth, this is the gospel. This is what God wants to unite all things to him. And so we are a diverse people coming from different places. You are different than me. I am different from you. But we are part of this this new race. It's like a new humanity. Jesus calls it a, it's, it's a new humanity of people. Like we're all so different, but the one thing that combines us and connects us is, is Jesus' love for us. We are the church. And that's what connects us. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The gospel speaks unity into division. Wherever you're seeing disunity in your life, you need to pour some gospel on it good news of Jesus. That's, that's what needs to happen in that part of your life. You need to consider that Jesus came for you and for that person and for everyone else. And he didn't draw any lines in the sand. He just said, come to me. But Christians who cater to disunity must reject the mind of Christ. That's what you have to do. If you're somebody who creates disunity and discord, if you're somebody who is a gossiper and loves to talk about people you got no business talking about, if you're somebody who breaks relationships like crazy, you're contributing to disunity. And you must reject the mind of Christ because the mind of Christ speaks unity into division. It brings things together that were broken. It repairs things. Division is actually anti-gospel. So I don't know for you today, maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to send a couple texts. Maybe you need to talk to somebody after church. Maybe it's somebody you haven't talked to in a long time. But if, if you realize 
that you are part of breaking a relationship, then, then if you want to be a gospel-centered person, you're going you're gonna to speak unity into that relationship. So here are some things that I think are key unity breakers. The first one is this, comparison. I think comparison breaks unity all the time. When we look at somebody else, we start picking them apart and saying, man, I wish I, wish I had that. I wish I could do that. There's this guy, Peter, and Jesus is talking to Peter before his crucifixion. And he he tells Peter in John 21, he tells him, you're going to die by crucifixion, which would have been shocking, right? He says, the last thing you're going to do is glorify me by being crucified. And so Peter, in this staggering moment, having heard that he's going to be crucified for his faith, he looks at Jesus and, and he says, he points at John. And he says, what about him? Isn't that just like us? Bible's so relevant. It's awesome. What about John? And Jesus lovingly replies, what's it to you? What about that other person? He has the better paying job. She doesn't deal with the same temptation. Their children act better. He's smarter. She's prettier. They don't struggle with infertility. He doesn't have cancer. They seem happier. I don't know what it is that's running through your mind that's causing you to draw a line between you and somebody else, but that does not look like the gospel to me. We have to, we have to come together and find common ground. We unify around the gospel. And we walk the road that God's given us. We've all got different roads, don't we? different problems, different issues. I struggle with things that you guys don't know about. You struggle with things I have no idea about. Spend more time trying to connect with people than trying to figure out why you should be different from them. Number two, legalism. Legalism, man, this is hard. What are the rules that you assign to people who you associate with? What are the ways that you're like, okay, as a Christian, you can struggle with this, but not that. If you struggle with that, then we can't be friends. I can't connect to that. I can't relate to that. Which is always a funny thing for us to say. I can't relate to that. Because here's this guy, Paul, who calls himself the worst of sinners. And as the worst of sinners, you know what we can do? We can relate to absolutely everything. I don't know what you deal with, but I can, I can relate to it. I don't know what it is. I probably haven't done exactly what you've done or experienced exactly what you've experienced. But we can relate to each other. What, what, is the, what is the discomfort that you get? Maybe somebody's too messy. Maybe their lives are too messed up. And you're like, listen, I know church is for the broken, but I can't connect with you. Or vice versa, you might look at people that have overcome battles, who God has worked in and said, you're too clean for me to connect with you. Listen, I'm too messy and you're too clean. Again, legalism. Find common ground because there is always common ground. Number three is indifference. Jesus says, if you love the people that love you, so what? Everybody does that. Everybody loves somebody who's like you, who loves you, who tells you what you want to hear. Jesus says, so what? Who are you indifferent towards? Who do you pass by every day that matters to God, that bears the image of God that you just ignore and walk by? There's been times in my life where I've prayed for this, that God would open my eyes to people where I start looking in their eyes. Just try this. Just try looking in the eyes of the person that's handing you their co- your coffee. Looking in the eyes of the person that, you know, is, is 
serving you dinner at the restaurant. Just try looking in people's eyes and considering their humanity. Don't be indifferent towards people. They're people. And they are valuable. So just as there are unity breakers, there are unity builders. And here here are a few unity builders. The first one I have is don't ignore the differences. Celebrate them. You and I are different, and I know it. And I'm not going to act like we're the same. We're all we're all different. And, and it just gets weird when you walk into a space and and you're the outsider, but you want to act like you're not. You know, I mean, it's OK. We're, we're different. Celebrate the differences. Learn from other people. Find ways to find ways to grow from other people. Don't ignore that you're different. I was sitting in Jordan. Um, we, we have a partner organization there that is teaching English to Jordanians. And I was sitting there with a 21 year old man and uh, I was really uncomfortable because there's the language barrier and his, his English was kind of broken. I'm trying to figure out what he's saying. And I just felt like, man, we are so different. I have nothing in common with you. And as the conversation continued on, I figured out he and I are just the same. We're just people. As we're talking, I figured out, you know, he, he just wants to get a good job. He's a paramedic. He wants to learn English so he can help recapacitate all of the passed out drunk Americans that come to, to Jordan. So he's like, I need to be able to talk with them. And so I need English. And I'm like, oh, that's good. I'll, I'll help you out with that. So he wants to get a good job. He wants to find a good girl. Yeah, lots of guys want to find a good girl. Yeah. And he wants to go to Hollywood. So, I mean, don't we all? It's just the things that connect us. I don't know. It's, it's kind of odd, but they all want to go to Hollywood. It's something. It's a really big deal to them. But. We got to the end of the thing and we were hugging and I was really excited. I was like, I just made a new friend and I walked away. There was something in my soul that kind of came alive in that moment where we embraced two people from very different backgrounds. And it was like there was something that connected us as people, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Number two, be a man or woman of peace. Romans 12:18 says if if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all That's our role be a man or a woman of peace be an agent of peace an agent of unity everywhere you go with your friends at your work maybe maybe you see like I said earlier that there is a broken brokenness in in some relationship that I have maybe you need to reach into that relationship and restore it. Maybe you see some friends and you can be a third party. I mean, be careful. Be careful. But there are opportunities to step into broken relationships and to be a third party to reconnect those things. Be a man or a woman of peace. And number three is this. Refer back to code one. It's all about Jesus. Code one was it's all about Jesus. We're here to make him famous. And one of the most unifying things I can do is understand my depravity in light of the grace of Christ. Because when we understand that, you know what? We look around, we go, I can connect with all of you. You know, I am not that different from you. We can connect on the same level. Who am I to draw a dividing line when Christ comes who is completely different than me? He's not just a better version of me. He's not just a glorified version of myself. He is completely different, fully God, comes to earth to these people who he has no way of, of relating to because, because we are sinful people. So he sends his son, he enters into solidarity with humanity, puts on the skin of humans, lives life with us so that he might die for us. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. 
And that isn't just for you. It's not for me. It's for everyone. And so who am I to draw a line between me and you? It's all about Jesus. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. And there will be one final division in this world. There will be a day that there is a line drawn across this earth. And on one side will be all of the people with good intentions. All of the people who tried to live good lives. Tried to do it as best as they could on their own. Who thought they could make it without Jesus. And on the other side of the line will be those who are truly disciples of Christ. It's not my job to decide which side of the line you're on. But it's the mission of the church to spend the rest of our time on this earth dragging people across that line. Like losing limbs to drag your friends across that line. It's why we're always like, bring your friends to church. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about the gospel. Call them up on Saturday. Buy them lunch on Sunday. Bring them to church. Make relationships, spend time with people because it matters. Jesus is going to sift through all of the religion, all of the good intentions, all of the truth, all of the lies, and he will draw the line right down the center. And my prayer for you today is you will be a disciple of Jesus, that you will make this commitment in your heart to follow him and receive his grace. Jesus, thank you today for your church. Thank you for the blood of Christ to celebrate together this offering. God, we just want to be a people who reflect your unity to the world. God, you are not divided, so your church should not be divided. Father, allow us to separate the the closed-fisted and open-fisted issues, the things that matter and the things that don't really matter. Father, help us to be diligent in all ways. In this next season, God, I pray we as a church would leave here and go out into the city showing our love for you. And Father, that you would grow in us a love for the people that surround us every day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.